Wednesday, July 3rd here in Draft Shark Studios in upstate New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schauff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And Jared, I say upstate this time because the holiday week is expanding DS Studios. I just arrived at my in-law's house on Lake Ontario, right on the doorstep of Canada. I know you and your wife are about to head off on another adventure too, right? Yeah, we're off to San Francisco uh, tonight, actually. So, so you know, one one more trip before we're chained to the computer for the next six months. Right. It's nice to get stuff in now while we can. Um, Before we split, though, we're going to dig into the NFC North projections breakdown. I believe it's our second to last division. We got one more left after this. And this particular one is brought to you by MyFFPC.com. FFPC has leagues that start at $35. They go up to several thousand dollars per team. There are dozens of drafts filling daily, have been for months now, and the pace is going to keep picking up significantly as we get closer to the season. They have slow drafts available with two-hour or six-hour timers, or you can jump right into a live draft and just knock out a team inside of a couple hours. Really, it's a, it's a nice setup for especially this holiday week where you might have some extra time around looking for something to do. Get a team or five going. Remember, it's myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com. Check them out. I know Jared and I have done plenty of drafts on there. Um, Jared, let's get now, though, to our second-to-last division breakdown, as I mentioned. It's the NFC North, and we're going to start with the Chicago Bears. Relevant coaching changes, nothing big on offense, right? Yeah, um, you know, head coach Matt Nagy, offensive coordinator Mark Helfrick, both back. And I think this was an offense that there was quite a bit of excitement about around this time last season with a new coaching uh, staff with Mitchell Trubisky in his you know, full, first full season as a starter. They add Allen Robinson, they add Trey Burton. So there were a lot of new pieces in Chicago. I think you look at their season overall, I think it was pretty encouraging. They finished ninth uh, in the NFL in points last season. They were just 21st in yards, 20th in yards per play. So they sort of overachieved um, in the point department. But I think you know, th- th- it seems like there's a bit less excitement about the Bears this year, and I think there probably should be more, just because you know we're getting that continuity. We're getting Trubisky in his you know third NFL season now, so it's an offense I'm definitely excited about heading into 2019. You know, we'll get into some points on whether or not to be excited as we get to the different uh, positions. But mentioned there's not, nothing really changing on offense. Defense, however, Vic Fangio is gone. Took the Denver head job after four years as the Bears' defensive coordinator. Chuck Pagano is in there. I don't think it's really going to make much of a difference for individual player values. I think the team defense should remain good. Pagano, though, is kind of a big name at this point because he spent six years as the head coach of the Colts. He only spent one year as the Baltimore Ravens defensive coordinator before landing the Colts head job. Those indie defenses weren't very good statistically. He had one that ranked better than 20th in yards, one that ranked better than 19th in scoring. Uh, so I'm not saying worry about the Bears defense, but there is at least a significant change for the unit. And for me, in general, I'm not going to be the one that's taking the first defense off the board ever. No, yeah, I think that's a good general strategy. You know, don't 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 be that guy. Uh, you know, we'll we'll talk about that more. I'm sure as we get into the summer. But um, there's just not enough value from week to week, even even from the elite defenses. And just over the past couple of years, I mean, last year the Bears. Finished first after going 12th in ADP. The Jaguars first by a wide margin in ADP. They came off the board 11th 
the year before when they, of course, became that top scoring defense. So what you want to do is find the team that's right around the bottom of top 12 territory that has big upside to it. On to the run pass split, though. We got um, Matt Nagy's offense last year was the sixth most run heavy offense in the league in his first season, about 54% pass, 46% run. I think we should not expect to see a really big change there. I think the best chance at a significant change is if the team is for whatever reason, not as successful as it was in his first season overall. Yeah. And I could definitely see the bears taking a step back as far as their record goes. And you talked about, you know, maybe the defense takes a step back. So that, that would probably mean a bit more passing. I think again, Trubisky heading into his third season, there's some change in the backfield. So, you know, I think all that, he had all that up. I do expect them to run a bit more this year. I have them down to 45% run after, you know, being around 46% last year. Yeah, so the the Bears were about 62% pass in their five losses, which included the playoff loss to Philly. But, I mean, the schedule actually looks pretty friendly. They get, they're get they at the Rams, at the Eagles, but they get the Chiefs, Saints, Chargers, and Cowboys all coming to Chicago. So I, I think that we'll at least have a contender again, even if they're not quite 12-4 and four regular season. I also had 55-45 for the pass-run split for the regular season. You know, in addition to just kind of expecting – the offense to stay similar to what it was last year. They invested in the backfield, signing Mike Davis and drafting David Montgomery. Right, yeah, and and there's some continuity here too. You know, last last year's top five target getters are all back, which I think is going to help too. Mitchell Trubisky under QB notes, 12th in touchdown rate last year at a solid 5.5%, sixth among quarterbacks in rushing yards per game, uh, and dealt with Allen Robinson missing time. Robinson missed three games. When Robinson did play, Trubisky was at 67% completions, 251 yards per game, and 5.5% touchdowns. Without Robinson in those three games, 61.3% completions, 173 yards per game, 4.0% touchdown rate. It's a small sample. It might not necessarily tell us anything, but worth noting at this point. Yeah, healthier Allen Robinson will help. Healthier Anthony Miller will help. Um, He missed just one game last year, but he was playing through a shoulder injury for most of the season. Um, I also think Trubisky should be helped by the Bears swapping out Jordan Howard and adding David Montgomery and Mike Davis. I think both those new running backs are better in the passing game than Jordan Howard was. Yeah, I agree. I don't like Trubisky as a player. 33rd among QBs in pro football focus grading last year, right behind Eli Manning and Blake Bortles, slightly worse passing grade than Josh Allen. And his best stretch of grades was at the end of the season, but it was still not in good range for their grading. That said, I I like the pieces around him and I like that Trubisky is going well down into QB2 range in ADP. I still don't know whether Trubisky is or will be a good NFL quarterback. Um, you know, again, last year's first full season as a starter, just his second year in the league, and that was after just one season as a starter at North Carolina. So I, I think the the book's sort of not written on him. But he finished 15th among quarterbacks last year in fantasy points. He was 13th in fantasy points per game. He missed two games last season. Um, and again, I think there's still room for for him to grow as a passer in his second year in this offense with all these, you know, these uh, weapons back, there's continuity here. And and he adds the rushing upside. He had 308 yards and five touchdowns in his one season at his one starting season at UNC and finished sixth among quarterbacks and carries and fifth in rushing yards last season. And of course, missed two games of his own um, with that shoulder injury. So yeah, I I certainly agree that we're not judging a finished product here there, there's more room for him to potentially grow we'll see what Trubisky turns into interesting this week that he's uh, apparently the top bet among 
uh, NFL MVP odds, which is not to say that people think Mitchell Trubisky is a strong bet to be the MVP, but he's at 200 to one, which is, I believe, as low as anybody goes on the available list of bets. Yeah, I think that that's just whatever that uh, sports book is mispricing Trubisky and people just taking advantage of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on to running back notes. We'll start with Tariq Cohen. Uh, right about 21% of Bears carries in each of his two seasons. The backfield is now more crowded than it's been with David Montgomery and Mike Davis in for Jordan Howard. I mean, last year, Benny Cunningham ranked third among Bears running backs and carries with 11. Uh, so I think that we'll see Mike Davis get more than that. Cohen, sixth among running backs in the league in receptions last year, 11th in that category as a rookie. He was up from 3.3 catches per game in 2017 to 4.4 last year, up from a 15% target share to 17.8% last year. That, I think, though, could be threatened by not only Mike Davis, but also a healthier Anthony Miller and even Cordero Patterson arriving. Yeah, uh, so I don't think that Montgomery or Davis are really threats to Cohen's role. You know, he he's he's that change of pace guy, and he's really good in that role. He's He's been one of the league's better pass catching running backs as far as raw production and efficiency. Um, you know, y- yards per route run, he led all 31 running backs who saw 40 plus targets last year in yards per route run. So I don't see his role diminishing much. But like you said, with um, some additions to the backfield, with Allen Robinson healthier, hopefully Anthony Miller Miller healthier this year, I think he might see a, a bit fewer targets this season but I, I still you know I still have Cohen at 16 percent of the Bears targets after seeing 18 percent last year I agree I don't think it's going to hurt much I think there's a, the potential for him to, for shave a couple of percentage points off of his target share but I don't see a significant change in role he was tied for fourth among all running backs in red zone targets last year as well according to NFL savant and led the Bears in that category all Bears so important in that range and, and not that he's not necessarily somebody that you would look at and think his red zone role is important, but that is key to him continuing to deliver fantasy points and also an area where even if they upgraded the other running back spot or the other main running back spot, I think they'll we'll still see Tariq Cohen plenty involved. Yep, I agree. And one more note on Cohen. I know you just posted our uh, reliability rankings for uh, this past season and Cohen, uh, nine top 24 PPR running back weeks last year only 11 running backs had more than that so you, you sort of think of these pass catchers as maybe more volatile from week to week but that wasn't the case with Cohen at least last year and I think you know again in a similar role he's going to be more reliable than a lot of people give him credit for in 2019. Yeah and I entered this draft season kind of waiting for Cohen to be overrated um, but his ADP I think is fine so far he's running back 28 on play draft which is half PPR he's running back 26 in best ball tens which are full PPR so I don't think that, that fantasy folks are overrating Tariq Cohen right now. Yeah, I agree. I think he's priced about where he should be at this point. David Montgomery, on the other hand, is going inside the top 24. Uh, he, he steps in primarily for Jordan Howard. Um, Howard finished RB20 in half PPR scoring last year, RB12 the year before. Howard lost 26 carries last year on a team that ran more times than it did the year before. I'll, I'll let you give the case for Montgomery in a minute. Um, but I think the big thing working against him is that is Mike Davis, who I can also talk about in a minute. So what, what do you have on David Montgomery before I go any further? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love the player and the opportunity is definitely there. You know, Jordan Howard leaves behind 250 carries and, and 26 targets. And again, I don't think Cohen is going to get m- much of those. So I think that work's going to be spread between Montgomery and Mike Davis. Montgomery, a guy the Bears obviously like they traded up 
to get him in the third round of this past year's draft have really been talking him up. There's been a lot of buzz on him in spring workouts. Um, you know, disappointed in athleticism at the combine, but I think that's really the only knock I can make on him. He was productive in his two seasons as Iowa State's lead back. He was fourth in this running back class in PFF's elusive rating this past season, caught 71 balls over three college seasons. So, you know, he, he's, he has the size and I think ability to be a three down back. It's just how quickly and whether he can, you know, sort of put Mike Davis away. Because where he's going in drafts right now, you need him to sort of be the clear lead back. So as much as I like the guy, I'm, I haven't been getting much of him um, at ADP right now. Yes, that is my issue. If David Montgomery were going like 35th among running backs in ADP right now, I'd be fine. But counting on him inside the top 24, I think discounts Mike Davis, who they went ahead and signed before they'd even traded Jordan Howard. So I think that they viewed and probably still at least to some degree view Mike Davis as more than just like a a filler. You know, he's somebody that they targeted early on, not somebody that they just added late, like the Lions with CJ Anderson, for example. So I think Mike Davis is going to be involved. I think David Montgomery is going to fall well short of 200 carries. And I think he's going to fall short of 20 receptions. Now, only 14 running backs reached 200 carries last year. So that's fine. He doesn't have to get to 200 to even pay off at, at RB24. I, I just, I don't think the reception upside is there to bring that, to make up for that. And I don't think that he's going to dominate goal line carries to the point where he's well ahead of the other Bears backs in rushing touchdowns. Yeah, I, I project I projected Montgomery right around 200 carries. Um, but yeah, it was tough to get him with significant volume in the passing game. Again, Jordan Howard leaves behind just 26 targets. The wide receiver court, you know, should be healthier this season. I do think Montgomery is a better bet than Mike Davis um, to, to, you know, finish, finish this season with more uh, catches. Davis was, Davis was good on the ground last year, but he, he wasn't great in the passing game. He caught 34 balls. He sort of emerged as, you know, the, the lead pass catching back in Seattle, but averaged just 6.3 yards per catch. Um, he finished 29th out of 39 qualifying running backs in yards per route run last season. So I think Montgomery, what he showed in college, I think I'd, I'd bet on him, you know, finishing this year with more uh, targets and catches than Davis. Yeah, I certainly expect Montgomery to carry more and catch more passes than Mike Davis. But Mike Davis, the second among Seahawks last year in carries, he led that team's running backs and targets. You know, he, he helped keep Rashad Penny down. I know it was also Penny's doing, and of course, Chris Carson above both of them. But I do think Mike Davis at least played well enough to keep a first round pick down in Seattle last mm-hmm. year. I, I don't think he's going to beat David Montgomery this year. That's probably within the range of possible yeah. outcomes. But I just think Mike Davis is going to be enough of a nuisance that he's he's not going to turn David Mon- he's not going to allow David Montgomery to be a draft value in fantasy this year. Yeah, that, that's where I'm at now. I will say Montgomery's a guy. I'll be ready to move up the rankings if you know we're hearing that he's going to be the clear lead back um, once training camp gets going. Of course, then we'll have to see what happens to Montgomery's ADP. He might be a guy who just you know sort of sort of always stays ahead of our rankings as far as ADP goes. I hope so. Fingers crossed for that. <laughs> Pass catcher notes. We'll start with Allen Robinson. Finished at wide receiver 40 in total points last year in half PPR. Wide receiver 35 in points per game. Lost three games, two of them to a groin injury, one to a chest bruise right at the end of the regular season. Of course, came off a left ACL tear last year. So it's tough to know if he was really fully all the way back to full power. Did draw 21.6% of the team's targets over his 13 games. Just a decent share. You'd like to see more from a a number one receiver. 
had two big games, one at home against Detroit in Week 10, one in the playoff loss to Philly. Really, otherwise, the numbers weren't anything special. And I guess what what else do you have on Allen Robinson before I do any looking forward? Yeah, I mean, you said not anything special. That That's sort of been Robinson outside of that one big 2015 season in Jacksonville when he had 1,400 yards. His other three NFL seasons, he's now finished 66th, 28th, and 39th among wide receivers in PPR points. So, you know, with Robinson, it almost feels like we're still just looking back at that 2015 season and hoping to get that again. And I'm not, you know, you, you talked about the 22% target share from Robinson last season. I'm, I'm not sure he's going to climb above that with these other pieces in Chicago. Yeah, I don't think he's well set up to get above that. And like I said, like we said earlier with run pass split, I don't I think they're going to remain one of the more run leaning teams. So I don't think volumes on his side. I don't think quarterback quality is on his side. You know, we'll we'll see. So I guess overall I would say I like Allen Robinson as a player, not excited about him for fantasy and especially if we do get more out of a healthy Anthony Miller in 2019. Yeah, again, I don't think his volume is going to climb much, if at all, this year. I do think there's a chance he's more efficient just another year removed from that torn ACL. Um, you know, Mitchell Trubisky maybe ascending still. And again, just just the second year in this Nagy offense, I think there's a chance for just, just everyone to be a bit more efficient. Anthony Miller, I think, is the guy who we could really see a, a huge yeah. difference from. He entered last year. I know we both liked him very much heading into last year's draft, but I think we were also both a little hesitant on him as a right away factor because when last season began, he was only nine months removed from a Jones fracture in his right foot. Yeah, and then he hurts his shoulder. He he dislocated it in week three, and then he he said he popped it out five or six more times throughout last season. He ended up missing just one game, but he was limited to fewer than fifty percent of the offensive snaps and four others. And it's just it's tough to know how healthy he ever was last season. Yeah, I mean, probably was never really feeling great. He dislocated that shoulder multiple times, as you mentioned. It eventually required surgery after the season. Drew just a 10.6% target share. Did play in 15 games, so you wouldn't realize that he was as bothered as he might have been. 2.2 catches per game, 7 touchdowns. That 21.2% touchdown rate, obviously going to come down, but five of his seven touchdowns did come in the red zone. So it's not like it was a total fluke, his scoring. He was right with Allen Robinson, Trey Burton, and Tariq Cohen in red zone targets. Uh, So I think there's potential for him to stay heavily involved there. And of course, potential for a lot more target volume overall. And then, I mean, the guy that we liked heading into the draft last year was because he, he just had awesome college tape. He looked like Steve Smith, like Carolina Panthers, Steve Smith. Yeah, I think that was the comparison we made for him. And, you know, Miller scored 14 and 18 touchdowns in his final two seasons seasons at Memphis. And like you said, he was he was efficient when he was targeted in the red zone last season, uh, turned five of his of his 11 red zone targets into touchdowns. 56 wide receivers saw more red zone targets last season. Only 16 scored more red zone touchdowns. So you, you add that to the fact that he scored 32 times over his final two college seasons, and he, he starts to look like a guy who just might always be a high touchdown rate player. Yeah, and I, you know, obviously it's going to come down from what it was last year. Yeah. Uh, but if he's making up for that by getting to like ninety or a hundred or even one hundred and ten targets overall, then we can see the same touchdown tally look absolutely fine. Yep, exactly. Missed the spring following that shoulder surgery. Expected to be one hundred percent for training camp. So we'll see about Anthony Miller health wise then. But uh, 
somebody to watch certainly through the summer. And then Taylor Gabriel probably did a lot more than people expected in fantasy last year. A limited player though, and I think we're going to see him more limited if Anthony Miller's shoulder is ready to go and he's ready to turn into more of a starter level player. Gabriel had the shortest average depth of target among the top three Bears wideouts last year. It was one and a half yards shy of Allen Robinson. Two and a half yards ahead of Trey Burton, at least. 71st among wide receivers in that category, all according to Pro Football Focus. High catch rate. Playing time was strong throughout the season. Taylor Gabriel, you look at him and think slot guy, but he only spent 22% of the time in the slot. I I guess I'm waiting to see exactly how they're going to work out the wide receiver alignment and the playing time among those guys. But Gabriel is the one that I'm, I'm least willing to bet on among the three, even at their relative prices. Yeah, me too. Um, Gabriel finished 41st among wide receivers in PPR points last season, but he was a top 36 wide receiver in only three of his 16 games. So he, he wasn't really a guy we could ever count on. And that was despite seeing 93 targets. I think that volume is going to come down this season if Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller stay healthy. I agree. Uh, Gabriel's okay to stash at the end of a best ball draft, but I don't anticipate him turning into uh, a real useful um, lineup setting piece. Yeah, and it seems to me that anything Cordero Patterson gets this year might come out of what Gabriel saw last season. And that's why I'm curious about the the slot snaps, because Anthony Miller was the most frequently lined up in the slot 69% of the time last year. Allen Robinson, 45.5%. Taylor Gabriel, 22%. I mean, Cordero Patterson has the body type of an outside receiver, mm-hmm. but he's also like a, a more of a trick play artist who they could line up anywhere so I, I i'm waiting to see i guess more of what the plan is for all these guys yeah i mean i think patterson could be a fun weapon and you know might even help add value to someone like mitchell trubisky but i, I can't see him being being a fantasy fantasy asset this season yeah i agree trey burton the last guy in pass catcher notes fourth among bears and targets last year uh with even with a limited anthony miller ranked eighth among ti- all tight ends though in team target share at 14.8 percent just behind Tariq Cohen and Allen Robinson and red zone targets, according to NFL Savant. My, I guess, overlooked concern, I think, for Trey Burton this year is the return of Adam Shaheen, mm. who I basically missed last year. He started the season on IR following a preseason foot injury, returned for six games. He saw six total targets. Last spring, when Matt Nagy was a new head coach, he compared Adam Shaheen to Rob Gronkowski physically. He called him a, quote, red zone threat. Now, I'm not saying that Adam Shaheen is going to turn into something special, but it's a former second-round pick. He put up big college stats at D2 Ashland, tested pretty well. He's a big dude. I think that there's potential for him to be a nuisance to Trey Burton, especially in the red zone. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that. You know, we, we, it's it, it's pretty crowded in Chicago. That's sort of the issue with all these guys. I like this offense, but there's just seems like there's there's a lot of mouths to feed. Um, the other issue with Burton, he he missed that playoff game. Remember that like groin injury that sort of popped up out of nowhere. Then he had sports hernia surgery in the offseason and missed all of spring workouts. So you know, we have to, we have to see that he's healthy. Um, you know, he he's going in a range in drafts. I think he's okay, but a tough guy for me to get excited about. So who I like, I, honestly, I'm really not excited about anyone. I, I like. Uh, Tariq, I, I think Tariq Cohen's fine at, at cost. I think probably I like Mike Davis and Anthony Miller best at cost because Miller is just wide receiver 56 late in round 12. Davis is going at the very end of drafts, the bottom of RB5 range. 
Yep. Yeah, like you said, I think Tree Cohen's fine where he's going. Allen Robinson, wide receiver 28. That's that's okay. Trey Burton, tight end 13. That's okay. Miller is my, one of my favorite targets here. My favorite, though, is probably Mitchell Trubisky, just sort of trying to soak up all these pieces. He's going as quarterback 19 in the 12th round. Um, you know, we have him ranked quite a bit higher than that. Again, he finished 13th among quarterbacks and fantasy points per game last year. If he takes a step forward as a passer this season, you know, his weapons are a bit healthier and he's going to still add that rushing. I think he's, I think he's a pretty good bat to beat his quarterback 19 price tag. Yeah, that that's solid. I, I, while I am not as uh, optimistic about Trubisky himself, I, he's definitely part of the, Oh, there are this many guys left that I could draft as my next quarterback. This is why I can wait and add somebody to another position and stuff. Yep, exactly. Who I don't like David Montgomery. He's going ahead of Kenyon Drake, James White, Chris Carson, Tariq Cohen, Lamar Miller, Tevin Coleman. I will take all those guys over him. And I would also take Rashad Penny and Latavius Murray straight up over Montgomery right now. Both of those guys are going at the bottom of RB3 territory as opposed to Montgomery at RB24. Yep, I'm with you on most of those guys. Again, I, I, I like Montgomery. I see the upside. He, he's just He's just a bit too pricey for me right now. Detroit Lions up next. Relevant coaching changes. We got no more Jim Bob Cooter at OC. We got Daryl Bevel in. Bevel was the Seattle offensive coordinator for seven years from 2011 to 2017. He was the Vikings coordinator for five years before that, 2006 to 2010. 12 offenses overall. They averaged 47.2% run. That mark would have been fourth most run heavy in the league last year. What you got on Bevel? Yep. Bevel loves running the football. Among those 12 seasons as an offensive coordinator, um, five of his teams finished top three in rushing attempts. 10 of the 12 were 17th or better in rushing attempts. His teams finished 21st or lower in pass attempts, eight of 12 times. So I think it's pretty obvious that Bevel is one of the run heaviest play callers we have in the NFL right now. Yeah, which is a particularly significant move here because Detroit has been one of the more pass-leaning teams pretty much ever since Matthew Stafford arrived. They did decrease their passing share each of the past three seasons, but it was still at 60.4% last year, which ranked 14th most pass-heavy in 2018. So they were getting to the middle of the league, but they're still just over on the pass-heavy side as opposed to run-heavy. Now, though, they make the step of bringing in Bevel, which seems like a clear signal that they're trying to lean further toward the run. And then you have, you know, this former defensive coordinator as the head coach. We could see one of the most run heavy teams in the league this year in Detroit. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we saw Matt Patricia sort of impact the offensive play calling last year, you know, with them dropping down to, like you said, about 60% pass. The season before that, they were at 64. The season before that, they were at 63. So I have them down at 55% pass this season, which is is a big drop from where they've been. But I wouldn't even be surprised if they end up a bit lower than that. Yeah, I think that's exactly what I have. And I think that the only way that they aren't in that range is if they're terrible yeah. and if they are contenders they could easily go lower yeah and i mean i i do think it's possible that they struggle this year. I, mean, I, I think they're the worst team in the division so you know that that could help the pass rate a little bit but i definitely think it's coming down from what we saw last year quarterback notes matthew stafford the volume drop is the big issue for him uh but he he was just okay on rate stats before i mean volume has always been a plus for him 15th among quarterbacks, uh, among active quarterbacks in yards per pass attempt so far. He's tied for 14th among active quarter, active quarterbacks in career touchdown rate. 
wide swings in that category year to year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stafford finished just 20th among fantasy quarterbacks last year with the fewest fantasy points per game of his career. He ranked 32nd among quarterbacks in fantasy points per game. Overall, just a mediocre rate stats. And now I think we're going to see probably the biggest volume drop of his career. I just, it, it combines to make it a poor fantasy outlook for 2019. Yeah, I mean, like you said, he finished 20th among quarterbacks in fantasy points last year. His volume was down, but he still ranked 11th league-wide in past him. So it's not like it's not like that was the main culprit. And like we've said, I think his volume is likely to dip further this season. The one mark in his favor, I do think his touchdown rate is likely to climb from what it was last season. Uh, 3.8% touchdown rate last year. That was his third worst mark over his uh, past eight seasons. He, he had a 4.5% touchdown rate across his previous eight seasons. So I think, again, you're going to see that come up a bit, but it's, it's not enough to, to make him more than a lower-end quarterback, too, with the, with the volume projection we have for him. Right. Even up at 4.5%, we're still talking about like bottom half of NFL starters. So right. uh, a guy that's struggled in those rate stats, and I think he really built up his profile early in his career on huge volume and playing with Calvin Johnson. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Kevin Johnson helped. Um, and, and, you know, Golden Tate gone too. And, you know, Stafford was without him over the second half of last season. But I still think that hurts. Um, si- since Tate arrived in Detroit in 2014, Stafford averaged 8.0 yards per attempt targeting Golden Tate, 7.1 yards per attempt targeting everyone else. Uh, running back notes. I, here's maybe the one guy in Detroit that we both like. on Johnson led the team last year with 11.8 carries per game as a rookie. receptions per game. That would project to 51 over a full season, which is a a pretty good number. Daryl Bevel's top rusher throughout his 12 years as a coordinator has averaged 17.9 carries per game. And even that number was dragged down by the last three Seattle teams, which saw injuries like knock Marshawn Lynch out and others. 2017, the Lions were 32nd in football outsiders adjusted line yards. The season before that, they were 31st. Last year, they climbed to 20th. So there's reason to believe that the Detroit O-line is getting better. They do have to replace TJ Lang at guard, but it otherwise returns intact. I think it's a nice outlook for on Johnson. Yeah, you like that continuity on the offensive line. Um, and I think the one person Bevel is good for is on Johnson. Bevel has landed a running back inside the top 14 in PPR points in nine of his previous 12 seasons as an offensive coordinator. And like you said, Johnson was very good last season. He was eighth among uh, 47 qualifying running backs in PFF's elusive rating. He was 17th among those 47 in PFF's rushing grades. Um, and, and we saw an eight-game stretch with him as Detroit's clear lead back. He averaged about 13 carries, about four targets per game over that stretch, and scored as the uh, running back 13 in both PPR and non-PPR points. And I think he can see more than 13 carries and four targets per game this season. Yes, I think that he should. And even though the backfield's crowded, it's not crowded with a lot of other talent. We've got C.J. Anderson, who looks like a lock to make the roster. Number two running back, though, under Daryl Bevel, have averaged just 7.2 carries in his 12 seasons. Anderson finished last year well with a nice couple games at the end of the regular season and then the start of the playoffs, but that followed him barely playing for a Panthers team that signed him in free agency. The Rams let him walk and decided to keep Malcolm Brown instead. C.J. Anderson's a lot thicker than on Johnson, so maybe he steals some goal line stuff. But I think for fantasy purposes, he's really just a on Johnson handcuff. I think so, yeah. Um, and it, it, it 
seems that Anderson's big finish to last season was just the result of you know being in that Rams offense. Um, I will say he ranked second um, in elusive rating among 22 running backs who carried 30 plus times from Week 16 to the Super Bowl. So he he was doing good work beyond you know the blocking he received, but. Like you said, the Rams let him go. He settles for just a one-year, $1.5 million deal with the Lions. Um, I think I think it speaks to the fact that we know Bevel wants to run the ball, so he sort of needs someone behind on Johnson. But, uh, yeah, I agree. I think Anderson, much more of a handcuff than a, than a standalone fantasy option. I expect C.J. Anderson to be less of a factor in Detroit than Adrian Peterson is likely to be in Washington, for example. Completely agree with that. Theo Riddick, meanwhile, the pass catcher, but he could be fighting for a roster spot. There have been rumors as such uh, throughout the offseason. He averaged 6.4 targets per game over the eight games that he shared with Carrion Johnson last year, which is solid. And Golden Tate was still around for five of those games. So uh, Theo Riddick was still a part of the offense there. But we're expecting a, pa- a big passing volume dip in 2019. Uh, there's, I-, I guess there's room for Theo Riddick late in PPR drafts if he sticks around. But there's he what he lacks versus other running backs in that range is even if Carrion Johnson goes down, I don't think there's a whole lot of touch upside for Theo Riddick. Yeah, I agree. And, and Riddick's been like one of my favorite late round PPR targets for the past three or four seasons. Now he he's the only running back in the NFL to top fifty catches in each of the past four seasons. He leads all running backs in catches over that span. But he he's a guy who I think is going to be hurt by this move to more of a run heavy offense under Daryl Bevel um, that if you're, if you want, you know, a good note for theoretic with Bevel, it's that Bevel has had a running back catch 30 plus passes in nine of his 12 stops as an OC. And five of those nine guys weren't the team's lead ball carrier. So he does have some history of utilizing a pass catching running back, but I just think with the overall pass volume going down in Detroit, that it's, it's definitely going to hurt Riddick's numbers. Zach Zenner re-signed as well, but he's going to be fighting for a roster spot. And then clearly if they really, we're going to make Zach Zenner a significant piece. They would not have signed CJ Anderson, who they signed after him, I believe. Yep. Pass catcher notes. Kenny Galladay is the new number one guy. It looks like drew 26.7% Alliance targets after the golden Tate trade last year. He drew 28.6% after Marvin Jones went down. Those would be top five shares at the position for the whole season. We do have Marvin Jones back. Probably he didn't do much in the spring, but he should be back. Danny Amendola is in for Golden Tate. TJ Hawkinson arrived as a first-round rookie. Galladay finished wide receiver 21 and a half PPR last year. He's going around wide receiver 17 right now, mid to late round yeah. four. I think that's okay, but I'm not excited. Yeah, it's too early for me. Uh, we can talk about him uh, more when we talk about our targets and guys we don't like in Detroit. But yeah, Galladay was wide receiver 17 in PPR points over those final six games when Golden Tate and Marvin Jones were out of the picture last season. Over the over his first nine games, um, Galladay was just 30th in PPR points. So you, you take that, you again, I, you take the fact that we think uh, Detroit's passing volume is going to be down in general. I, it's tough for me to see Galladay getting enough targets for him to pay off his price tag, even though I, I love him as a player. And we could see him hurt a little bit in the red zone targets area. He did lead the Lions in red zone targets last year, but Marvin Jones edged him in red zone targets per game. And about a third of Kenny Galladay's red zone targets came after Jones went down. And of course, they had a struggling running game at that point, too. So I think more of the red zone stuff will go to the backfield at that stage. Just there's nothing about Kenny Galladay that excites me and says, yes, I'll take him at wide receiver 17 because I think he has upside from there. Yeah, um, Bevel's top wide receiver has finished better 
then 22nd in PPR points and only four of his 12 seasons. So, you know, if you're drafting Galladay at ADP, you're, you're, you know, banking on him to buck that trend with Bevel. Marvin Jones lost the final six games to an injury last year that was called a bone bruise, but then it eventually required surgery. So it seems like more than that. And I haven't seen much more detail on it. Spent the off-season workouts working with the, quote, rehab group, according to the Detroit Free Press. So we'll see how healthy Marvin Jones is when training camp gets rolling. 28th and half PPR points per game last year, 13th in 2017, 43rd in 2016. He's going wide receiver 35 and play draft ADP, which seems like a, a fair price for him, I think. Yeah, I think it's fair. I think he, he's a better value than Kenny Galladay, even though I you know like Galladay better as a player. I think he'll finish with more fantasy points, but I think Marvin Jones, the better value right now. Jones actually out-targeted Galladay 62 to 61 in their nine games together last season. I, I think Galladay will lead this team in targets this season, but I don't think the gap's going to be as big as a lot of people do. Yeah, and I certainly don't think it's a lock. I wouldn't be shocked if Marvin Jones beat him in targets. Yep. And Marvin Jones is going to be a volatile player. He's the kind of guy that you want to draft in best ball, I think, more than you want to draft in lineup setting. Over 2016 and 2017, which were his healthier seasons than last year, Marvin Jones tied for just 40th among wide receivers in games of five-plus catches, had nine total games over those two seasons in that category. Tied with Deshaun Jackson, for example, just behind Jeremy Curley and Mike Wallace, among many others. Yeah, definitely a best ball type of player. Um, and I, I think especially if we think you know the Lions are going to be running the ball more, that, that's only going to hurt Jones's um, week-to-week reliability. Danny Amendola played 15 games each of the past two years, so maybe he's not as much of an injury risk as he used to be. Four straight seasons over 70% catch rate, but... 9.7 yards per catch career. He's averaging two touchdowns per season in the league so far. He needs volume. He's not going to get it in Detroit. Yep, not an offense that's going to be supporting three fantasy-relevant wide receivers this season. TJ Hawkinson, of course, is a big name. Not a great situation for him volume-wise either. And not the history's not great on rookie tight ends. Only nine of them have ever reached 50 catches. We've seen 19 first-round tight ends uh, from 2002 through 2018. Only two of those guys finished among the top 12 uh, tight ends in half PPR scoring. Over that span, only six rookies total finished among the top 12 and half PPR. So history says TJ Hawkinson's not likely to score as a starter in fantasy. Yeah, and so does Daryl Bevel's history, you know, not, not surprisingly. Um, his lead tight end has finished better than 18th in PPR points in only four of his 12 seasons as an offensive coordinator. Two of those came from Jimmy Graham, who you know is is going to go down as one of the you know six or seven best pass catching tight ends in NFL history. So, um, like Hawkinson, long term, but not in a great spot for year one fantasy production. Yeah, the one redeeming thing for Hawkinson is that he's not going exceedingly early. He was at tight end fourteen as of mid June, early in round twelve, but he's actually dipped lately. He's early in round thirteen now. He's tight end eighteen off the board. Yep. I think that's a fair range for him in case, you know, somebody, one of the Lions starting receivers gets hurt or Hawkinson carves out a key red zone role, something like that. Yeah, I think tight end 18 is fine. Um, he, he is going ahead of Jordan Reed, who I prefer. And even even Jimmy Graham's going behind TJ Hawkinson. I think I think I like Graham better at this point. Oh, yeah, we'll get to Graham in a minute. Uh, who I like in Detroit, carry on Johnson at RB20. I think there's top 12 upside. I will take him straight up over Marlon Mack. And he is going six spots later than Mack in running back ADP so far. 
Yep. Uh, big agree for me. He's the only guy in Detroit I'd really like. Um, I think, again, Marvin Jones is okay at wide receiver 35. But beyond that, it's just Karrion Johnson, who really is my favorite pick in the back half of the third round, assuming Aaron Jones is off the board. And then on the who I don't side, I, I really don't hate anyone else. I tried to, but they're they're not going at unfair prices. I'm just generally not buying Lions because I don't see big upside on anybody on the team besides Carryon Johnson. Yeah, I mean Matt Stafford's going quarterback twenty five. I wanted to hate him, but I you know I can't hate Stafford going at quarterback twenty five. The only guy I'm really not drafting right now again is Kenny Galladay, who's going as the eighteenth wide receiver off the board. That's that's like six spots higher than he sits in our rankings. On to the Green Bay Packers, who might have the most relevant coaching change in the division. Mike McCarthy is gone, finally, after 13 years. Matt LaFleur is in because he knows Sean McVay. Spent one year as the Rams OC, one year as the Titans OC. Both of his offenses ranked ninth in the league in rushing attempts. They ranked 24th and 31st in passing attempts. Yeah, I really don't know what to make of Matt LaFleur. Like you said, he worked under Sean McVay. He also spent eight seasons under Kyle Shanahan. Um, so you like the coaching trees coming from, but in his one season really as play caller, because we know in L.A. he, he wasn't really doing much behind McVay. Um, his one season as Titans OC last year, um, Tennessee ranked 27th in points. They were 25th in total yards. They were also 29th in offensive snaps and 23rd in situation neutral pace. So it was a slow-paced offense, which you don't like to see. So he'll obviously have better quarterback play this season in Green Bay, just a better situation in general, which helps. But I think LaFleur is still a big wild card for the Packers this season. Yeah, tough to know if he's a positive for the Packers. Obviously, he's relevant because he has Aaron Rodgers. And what you like here is he comes from a a good play-calling background. We don't know how Matt LaFleur is so far, but we know that the guys he coached under have done well with play-calling and productive offenses, so combine that with Aaron Rodgers. Maybe it helped. Titans were the league's second most run-heavy offense last year. The Rams were the seventh most run-heavy offense in 2017 with LaFleur as the OC. 2018, the Titans went 9-7, and 52% run in their nine wins, 43% run in their seven losses. The Vegas over-under on the Packers for wins this year is 9.5, so I, I expect that the Packers should be at least as good as last year's Titans were. So I think that we'll see somewhere along the lines of what we've seen the past two years, basically from the Rams, kind of throwing out last year's Titans. Uh, I landed at 56-44 for my pass run split here. Okay, I, I have the Packers higher up at um, 59%. So they, they were at 65.8% last year. They were the second pass-heaviest team last year. Previous three seasons, though, 59.3, 62.4, 56.8. So I, I sort of settled into that range at 59. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they're closer to your number. I think the Rams comparison does make sense. I, I think the big takeaway, though, is that they're going to run it a bunch more than they did last season. Yeah, the Rams were 55 to 57% in Sean McVay's two seasons so far. And Aaron Rodgers, his his Packers have had 10-plus wins in 7 of 11 seasons so far. So kind of combining the Rams with the Packers' general success with Aaron Rodgers, how I landed at that number. QB notes, Aaron Rodgers, LaFleur's Titans offense, as you said, ranked just 27th in scoring, 25th in yards. So we don't know if Matt LaFleur is good for him. But Aaron Rodgers has finished 9 of his 11 starting seasons Among the league's top six in passing touchdown rate, 
And here are his fantasy finishes from last season backward. QB7, QB5 in points per game, QB1, QB12, QB2, QB5 in points per game, QB2, 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 QB1, QB2. The two points per game seasons are the two seasons where he got hurt and missed a lot of time. But as you can tell by those numbers, Aaron Rodgers has been very successful in fantasy. Averaged 550 pass attempts per 16 games as a starter so far. That would have ranked 13th in the league last year. Volume could come into play here. I don't think it matters as much as it might for some other quarterbacks, though, because he's always been a very good rate stat guy. Yeah, for sure. Um, And, you know, his seventh place finish last year among quarterbacks was disappointing. Touchdown rate was was basically the driver of that. 4.2% touchdown rate last year for Aaron Rodgers. Easily a career low. He threw a touchdown on 6.5% of his passes over his previous 10 seasons. If you give him that 6.5% touchdown rate last year, he would have thrown 14 more touchdowns and he, and he would have finished as the quarterback two in fantasy points. Just six top 12 finishes last year, though, 37.5%, tied for 20th with Tom Brady, Dak Prescott, just behind Blake Bortles. The running game should be better. The wide receivers that remain have matured. They were a young group last year, minus Randall Cobb, who was in clear decline, who is now gone. I think overall the situation improves for Aaron Rodgers, and he's obviously done enough that we should believe in him. I think we'll get back to him and his actual draft price and what that means in a few minutes. Yeah, I think you know his rapport with these younger wide receivers is, is sort of going to be the key to his fantasy production this season. Running back notes, Aaron Jones, like on Johnson, one guy that I know we both like. Uh, Jones drew 65% of Packers carries and 12% of targets in the seven games that followed their week seven bye last year when he finally took over a backfield in which he was clearly the best running back. He was fantasy's number five running back across formats over that span, 12th in points per game, which, you know, factors in guys who had buys in that stretch. Sprained his right MCL, though, to end his season. It was the third MCL sprain has affected each knee for Jones over just the past two years. Has still averaged five and a half yards per carry in each of his two seasons. And this new Packers staff looks ready to let him take charge of the backfield. Yep, I, I hope they do. Um, you know, Mike McCarthy always sort of seemed hesitant to completely turn the backfield over to Aaron Jones, even though he's consistently outproduced Jamal Williams over the past two seasons. Like you said, 5.5 yards per carry for Jones versus just 3.7 for Jamal Williams. Jones has finished 31st and then 16th last year in PFF's elusive rating. Seems like he's a good fit in this uh, Matt LaFleur outside zone running scheme. Uh, Jones also, you know, he he, he was buzzing all, all spring. You know, he reportedly cut his body fat from 11 to 5%. There were some concerns about conditioning last year reportedly. So everything seems to be pointing up for Aaron Jones. He just needs to stay healthy. That's sort of been his thing, like you said, he's had three different knee injuries, um, also had a hamstring issue last summer that cost him some time in training camp. Yeah, so that stuff will be alarming if it pops up during training camp, but as long as he's healthy, uh, I'm on board. Jamal Williams did open last season as the starter. He did improve his pro football focus grades in every category last season over his rookie year, except for pass blocking, was still good in that category. Aaron Jones edged him as a pass blocker in PFF grading, but Williams also played a lot more often uh, in pass blocking situations than Jones did 96 to 30 snaps there. He actually spent more time in route than Jones as well. 80 more snaps in route than Aaron Jones had. And that's on just 145 more total snaps. So it was Aaron Jones running the ball more. 
obviously missed the time to injury, but Jamal Williams is still leading in the receiving stuff. I want to see that that's going to change significantly this year. Yep, I'm with you there because Williams actually has been pretty good in the passing game. So that'd be the concern for Aaron Jones that he continues to lose some of that pass catching work to Jamal Williams. But like I said, Williams, 3.7 yards per carry over the last two seasons. He finished 61st in elusive rating last year versus Aaron Jones's uh, 11th place finish. So no no doubt who the better um, ball carrier is among these two guys. But like you said, would like to see Jones um, take a step forward as a pass catcher. Yeah, I'm going to be watching for reports of Matt LaFleur's staff calling Jamal Williams a third down back or anything this summer to see if there's anything that we need to worry about there. Yep. Dexter Williams is the rookie, sixth-round pick. Probably not going to be a factor this year, but I will be curious to see if he pushes Jamal Williams at all for the number two spot. Limited work in three seasons at Notre Dame, played behind C.J. Procise. Josh Adams had some off-field issues, but had a stellar final season there. Uh, Lance Zierlein of NFL.com called him an ascending every-down running back prospect who showed major flashes of becoming an NFL starter heading into the, this year's draft. Yeah, definitely a guy I'm intrigued by, you know, just just in this Packers offense. And as much as I like Aaron Jones, you know, still relatively unproven. Again, he's had some of the injury issues. He's had an off-field issue. He was you know, suspended the first two games last season. So Williams, definitely a nice stash in Dynasty. And I, I don't think it's crazy to think that, you know, he he has a chance to eventually pass Jamal Williams this season for the number two spot on the depth chart. Yeah, fingers crossed. Pass catcher notes, Devontae Adams drew 28.2% of Green Bay targets over his 15 games last season. Only DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, and Michael Thomas saw larger shares. Only Travis Kelsey delivered more games of five-plus catches than Adams did with 14. And Adams finished all 15 of his weeks among the top 36 PPR wideouts last season. Yeah, super productive, super reliable week to week. He, he, was, he was the only guy that Aaron Rodgers completely trusted in that passing game last season. Adam saw 169 targets last year, 28.2% of the team total in his 15 games. It's a, it's a big number, but I don't think it's coming down much this season just because of that rapport with Rodgers. And Devontae Adams' huge turnaround over the past two years is really a reminder to not give up too early on young players, especially wideouts and especially guys who are in potentially good situations because I honestly was not on board Devontae Adams after his first year or two in the league. Yep, totally agree. Marquez Valdez-Scantling looks like the number two heading into this season. Early season injuries to Randall Cobb and Geronimo Allison helped his playing time last year. Uh, He saw 14.7% target share in the seven games that Randall Cobb missed, 10.8% target share in the rest of them. Valdez-Scantling wound up third on the team in targets overall. He's drawn praise from Aaron Rodgers this spring. ESPN's Rob Demosky says he looks like the number two with Geronimo Allison working in the slot. A lot of upside to MVS, especially at really a a nice-looking ADP so far. Yeah, I agree. Just being the number two wide receiver in this Packers offense has been a good spot in fantasy, obviously, with Aaron Rodgers. Um, Since Rodgers took over, Green Bay's second wide receiver has finished top 36 in PPR points in eight of 11 seasons. So there's a pretty good chance that, you know, either Valdez Scantling or Geronimo Allison, or maybe one of these other guys that that we'll talk about is going to finish this season as at least a wide receiver three. So it's a situation to keep an eye on. I think Valdez Scantling is definitely the exciting guy. He has that four, three speed. Um, He had four catches of 40 plus yards last season. So, you know, especially in basketball, 
looking for some of those, you know, big weeks. I think Valdez Scantling is a guy that can, that can give us those. Yeah. Geronimo Allison, as I said, looks like number three, drew 17.7% of targets over its four full games last year, but missed most of the season with injury. That would have ranked second on the team behind Devontae Adams for the season. Uh, Matt LaFleur has lauded his inside-outside versatility, so looks like the primary slot guy, but also capable of lining up on the outside. I think he's probably the end of who's relevant in fantasy at wide receiver for the Packers this year, as long as nobody gets hurt there. Yeah, and Allison was efficient, at least in in his limited time last season. Um, 10.1 yards per target, that ranked 12th best among 100 eight wide receivers and he was 37th among those 108 in yards per route run so we'll see even as the number three you know in name as a slot receiver I, I do think we're going to see you know the the Packers in a bunch of three wide receiver sets so I think Allison is going to be on the field plenty this season and has a chance to be a fantasy asset yeah, and obviously would be set up with one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the league and if Matt LaFleur does bring over any of what the Rams had over the past two years We've seen plenty of value from all three Rams wide receivers, even at not high uh, passing volume levels for the whole offense. The other guys that play, Jamon Moore, Equinemius St. Brown, Jake Kumaro. You'll find some people on Jake Kumaro. I don't think any of these guys is really going to be relevant unless one of the top three gets hurt. Uh, St. Brown played more, a lot more than Jamon Moore last year when they were both rookies. Yeah, Kumaro is the new Jeff Janice, it seems like. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> But I mean, I, I I think it's a situation to to monitor because I don't think you know Valdez Scantling is locked in as the number two guy. I don't think Allison is locked in as the number three guy. So it's de- it's definitely I think St. Brown, Moore, and Kumaro are guys to to keep an eye on this summer. It'll be worth watching. I hope that we get a little bit of buzz from one or two of those guys to keep uh, MVS at depressed value because I really think it's going to be him and Geronimo Allison joining Devontae Adams. Yeah, the odds are it's going to be those two guys. Jimmy Graham, over the first eight games last year, averaged 83.3% playing time, drew 16.1% of Green Bay's targets, tallied seven red zone looks. Over his final eight games, 63.3% playing time on average, saw 11.5% of the targets, garnered one total red zone look, maybe the thumb fracture in week 10, played a role. He didn't actually miss any time beyond that game, though. Looks like a player in decline. That said... Early ADP has him going in the bottom of tight end two range around the 13-14 turn. Yep, tight end 20 and ADP. So, you know, I'm, I'm buying him at that price just, just because he's Aaron Rodgers' lead tight end. Not even, you know, factoring in that he, you know, at least at one point was one of the better pass catching tight ends we've ever seen. And maybe that guy's completely gone. I do think, though, he's he's a lock for positive touchdown regression this season. Graham scored on just 3.6% of his catches last year. That was after posting a 12.4% touchdown rate across his first eight NFL seasons. So, you know, just, just two touchdowns last year. I think he's, he's a, he's a pretty good bet for like five, six or seven in 2019. Yeah. If you ask me, do I like Jimmy Graham? No, I think he's clearly in decline (laughs) and near the end of his career. If you ask me, am I drafting Aaron Rodgers' tight end at tight end 20? Absolutely, especially in best ball when I can just soak up all those touchdowns. Yep, exactly. So in the who I like, it's Jimmy Graham and it's Aaron Jones. And Jones's availability in round three, for me, makes it easier to take a wide receiver or a tight end with one of my first two picks in the draft. Yep, Aaron Jones is my favorite third-round target. Really, wherever I am in the third round, I'll, I'll take him early in the third round if that's where I'm sitting. 
I like Jimmy Graham at tight end 20. And then Marquez Vandal Scantling at wide receiver 43. I think I think there's still plenty of room for him to beat that price tag. I agree. Who I don't like, Aaron Rodgers at QB3. Can he finish there? Mm-hmm. Sure. Any advantage over other quarterbacks at that level? No, not at all. He came out eighth in my projections. He was very close to Jameis Winston, Matt Ryan, Jared Goff, all of whom are going behind him. There are a couple other guys that I have projected ahead of him. You know, I will not at all be shocked if Aaron Rodgers finishes third or second, but I don't think that I don't see any reason to pay the price that I need to to get him because I don't think he's headed for like a 40 touchdown. Yep, I'm with you there. Um, early round seven ADP for Rodgers right now. If, I, if I'm taking a quarterback in that range, I definitely like Deshaun Watson better, and I, I think I like Andrew Luck better as well. Yep. On to the Vikings, where the relevant coaching changes happened late last season. The Vikings fired John DeFilippo with three games to go. Kevin Stefanski took over, retained this offseason. It was a small sample, but the offense went from 67% pass through 13 games before the change to 52% pass in the three games with Stefanski as the coordinator. Yeah, and that, you know that obviously Mike Zimmer had a lot to do with that. Uh, the head coach here, defensive minded head coach, who wasn't happy with how much Minnesota's passing. So you know he hires Stefanski, and they immediately start running the ball. It, it's not going to be as extreme as we saw last season, I don't think. Um, it's worth noting that in Stefanski's three games, two of those were easy wins over Miami and Detroit. That obviously helps a team run the ball. In the third game, uh, Minnesota lost to the Bears, and in that game, they actually passed on 69% of the time. So again, that's just a reminder of how you know volatile these run-pass splits can be from game to game based on you know whether a team is leading or playing from behind. Yeah, I absolutely don't think the 52% is a signal of what's to come. It's a very small sample, and as you mentioned, two blowouts. Uh, that said, the reports say that the big clash between DeFilippo and Zimmer were the run pass split. And I also think the Vikings are going to be more competitive this year than they were last year. They had injuries on offense and defense. They've been a very good defense overall since Mike Zimmer arrived. So I think that all of that's going to allow them to come back down on the passing share in Mike Zimmer's five seasons as the head coach, they've had wide swings, 57.9% pass 51.3, 62.2, 52 and a half, 64.4 last year overall. That averages out to 57.7. I went with 57.43 for my pass run split for them. Yeah, and uh, one more addition to the coaching staff, Gary Kubiak as an offensive advisor is what they're calling him. You know, he is, you know, I think one of the better run game minds that we have in the league. So just another sign there. They're going to run the ball, you know, as much as they can this season, I think, and you know, especially if Delvin Cook can stay healthy. So, yeah, I um, ended up projecting Minnesota for 54 percent pass uh so you know that would have ranked 25th in the nfl last year mm-hmm. I, I i keep forgetting about the gary kubiak things like every time his name comes up in a headline i'm like oh yeah he did land with the vikings this offseason qb notes kirk cousins uh it, it feels like he's coming off a disappointing year last year but he still finished quarterback nine in fantasy uh and he would have been qb7 with some better rushing numbers and and really that was the biggest dip to his stats and you wouldn't think about rushing being significant for Kirk Cousins but he had 13 rushing touchdowns over his three starting seasons in Washington uh he had one rushing score last year in his first with the Vikings his rushing fantasy points alone in his four years as a starter so far 
and then last year was 18.3. Yeah, it's a good note. So you can maybe expect to get, you know, that, you know, 20 extra points from Cousins on the ground this season. The issue, though, is he ranked fourth in the NFL last year with 606 pass attempts. And even despite that, he finishes, you know, ninth among quarterbacks in fantasy points. I think, you know, that that volume is going to come down. I mean, he he might throw it 100 fewer times this season, which is obviously huge. Um, In those three weeks under Stefanski at the end of last season, Cousins ranked 16th among quarterbacks in fantasy points. Yes, and I don't think that the rushing – I didn't bring up the rushing because I think he's in for a rebound. Uh, I think that it's probably underrated in looking at bringing his numbers over from Washington to Minnesota. I think what we saw last year in Minnesota is what we should expect to see from him going forward because I don't think that he's a, a real strong goal line candidate. I think he lucked out from being in a positive spot for – rushing touchdown opportunities in a weak Washington backfields. Yep. Yep. That's very fair. Uh, career high in touchdown passes last year, but his rate stayed around average level for an NFL starter. His completion rate remained high. I think that'll continue with Adam Thielen and, and Stefan Diggs as his dudes, but just 24th in yards per attempt and doesn't throw the ball very far downfield tied for 27th and average depth of target last year. Uh, 7.9 yards in that category, according to, to Pro Football Focus. That's the lowest among his four starting seasons, but it's not far away from the 8.2 that he put up in both both his first and third seasons in Washington as the starter. Yeah, Cousins not the type of guy who's going to rank you know 22nd in pass attempts, but 10th in fantasy points. So I think the the loss of volume for him is is huge. Running back notes, Dalvin Cook averaged just 10.9 carries per game over his first eight last year. Injury interrupted appearances, of course, even when he was playing, was often dealing with the hamstring issues. 46 carries over the final three weeks after the OC switch. Of course, a couple of favorable situations for that as well. The ACL tear in 2017, nagging hamstring injuries last year. That's something to watch this summer. I think if any hamstring stuff pops up for Dalvin Cook, I'm going to quickly be hands off. Yeah, I mean, durability, the only concern here, I think, but also a major concern beyond the ACL and hamstring issues that he's had um, since entering the league. He tore a labrum in his shoulder at Florida State. He sprained an ankle in college. Um, he had a second shoulder injury later in his career. He, he's had three separate surgeries on that shoulder. So a long injury history for Cook. So that's the that's the risk. The upside, though, I think is huge. I do think he's a super talented player. Uh, Four point seven yards per carry across his first fifteen NFL games here. He's also caught fifty one balls across those fifteen games. And you know, with Stefanski and Kubiak here, and this being a run heavy offense, I think Cook, when he's on the field, I think should be a pretty easy running back one this season. It's just you know, can he avoid that injury? Yeah, he's very well set up for that. The Vikings, in addition to the coaching changes, swapped out Latavius Murray for Alexander Madison. Obviously. They like Madison because they drafted him at the end of round three, which is a surprising level for people heading into the draft. Mm-hmm. But he, he's not Latavius Murray yet, at least until he shows that he is. So that has to be considered, I would say, at least a slight positive for, for Dalvin Cook as well. Yeah, and even Latavius Murray averaged only 6.8 carries per game alongside Dalvin Cook last year in Cook's 11 games. I don't think Madison's going to see more than that. Madison did spend the past two years as a workhorse at Boise State. 240 touches in 2017, 329 last year, 60 career receptions, runs hard. Maybe he picks up some of the red zone work that Latavius Murray left behind. I'll be curious to look for signals on what we should expect from the work split between these two. 
Yeah, I, I would be surprised if Madison sees enough to be a standalone f- fantasy option, but you look at Cook's injury history and the fact that Minnesota wants to run the ball, um, I think Madison is one of the better handcuffs right now. Yeah, um, I consider him a handcuff as well. Pass catcher notes, Adam Thielen was the number one wide receiver across fantasy formats through eight games, topped 100 yards in each of those. From week nine on, though, wide receiver 28 in non-PPR, wide receiver 24 in PPR. The issues here, Stephon Diggs beat him in target share after the week 10 bye, and then, of course, the whole run-pass split thing that we've been talking about. Yeah, worth noting, too, Thielen was on the injury report over the second half of the season with calf and lower back issues. So yeah, I don't know if that played a role in the the you know dip in production. The volume was obviously way down, like you mentioned. He averaged 12 targets per game in those first eight games, just 7.1 in the final eight. I do think you know that this passing game is still going to be Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, so the target share should still be up there. But with the drop in volume, I think you know it's safe to expect Thielen's 151 targets from last year to come down. You know how much they come down, we'll, we'll have to you know hopefully get a better idea of that as we get into the summer and see how Thielen and Diggs are going to be used. I don't expect him to be as rough as he was in the second half of last season. I don't expect him to be nearly as good as he was in the first half of last season. The question is where Adam Thielen settles between those two extremes and you're going to have to pay to find out this year he does rank fourth in the league in receptions total receptions over the past two years so i mean he deserves some benefit of the doubt on that front yep stefan diggs set a new high for receptions per game last year set a career low in yards per catch he has yet to play a full 16 games in a season but been decent health wise lately Thielen has beaten diggs in yards per target each of the past two years Thielen edged him in average depth of target last year Diggs edged him in 2017, so I would say overall they look pretty even on that front. But I don't think Kirk Cousins is helping either player in that area. One spot where Thielen really dominated Diggs was delivering starter-level fantasy mm-hmm. weeks last year. PPR, Thielen was a top 36 wideout in 14 of 16 weeks. Stefan Diggs was a top 36 wideout in just 10 of his, 10 of his 15 games. Yeah, Thielen has definitely been the steadier week-to-week guy. I think, you know, Diggs might might provide more weekly upside. Um, Diggs actually had eight games of eight-plus catches last season. That was tied with Devontae Adams for most league-wide. And Diggs, you know, his production, like Thielen, did dip a bit over the second half of the season. But he was still, Diggs was still a PPR wide receiver 13 over his final seven games. And he out-targeted Adam Thielen about nine targets per game to seven targets per game over the second half of the season. And we'll get to their draft prices in a minute. At wideout, I mean, the only other guy worth even like looking at is Laquan Treadwell and really there just because it's the final season of his rookie deal after the team declined his fifth year option so it's like is he ever going to become anything yeah and already this spring we've heard I've I've read uh, that Jordan Taylor might be taking Treadwell's spot as a third wide receiver I've heard Chad Beebe might be taking Treadwell's spot as a third wide receiver so I, I don't even think he's locked in as the number three guy and he, even if he was you know we, we've seen that it's not enough to make him a fantasy asset yeah, non-factor fantasy-wise, I'm really just curious to see if he can do anything with his career from this point. Yeah. Yep. Kyle Rudolph, uh, I know I like him more than you do. Uh, career highs in catch rate, yards per target last year with Kirk Cousins, had some bad luck in the red zone, scored on just 23.1% of his red zone targets, including 28.6% of his targets inside the 10-yard line, according to Pro Football Reference. Before last year, Rudolph had scored on 36.4% of his career red zone chances, 
53.9% of his chances inside the 10-yard line. So he should be in for some positive movement in that area. And even with some bad touchdown luck last year, Rudolph was still tight end eight in PPR or half PPR. I mean, a touchdown away from finishing top six in fantasy points. Yeah, and we did move Rudolph up our rankings a few spots when he signed that extension. You know, he, he's obviously at least part of Minnesota's plans this season still. I, I think he's in the mix, you know, in that low-end, tight-end, um, one territory. Just not a guy I can get excited about. And I think there are concerns, obviously, with this move to Kevin Stefanski in a more run-heavy offense. That's going to hurt Rudolph's targets. And then they spent a second-round pick on tight-end Irv Smith. And I think, you know, he will probably steal at least – a few targets from Rudolph this season will, you know, hopefully get a better idea of how big a role Smith is going to play this year as we get into training camp. Yeah, I'm just not worried about it at a position that doesn't doesn't need vol- target volume quite so much. And, and from Rudolph, in, in his five healthy years as a starter following his rookie season, tight end eight, tight end eight, tight end two, tight end fourteen, tight end eleven. So his floor to this point in a healthy season has been where he's getting drafted right now. Yeah, again, I think he's fine. It's just, it's just I don't ever look at Rudolph as someone who's going to like move the needle on a week to week basis. You know, he's not someone you get excited about in your starting lineup. Yeah, I can I can understand not getting excited about him, but he is my player in the who I like category. As I said, he's going at tight end fourteen, which has been his lowest fantasy finish so far. He is basically even with Dallas Goddard in ADP, which is ridiculous. Yeah, um, he beat Trey Burton in targets, catches, and yards last year. And among all tight ends, only Travis Kelsey and Zach Ertz have more catches than than uh, Kyle Rudolph over the past four years. Only Kelsey and Ertz have more catches among tight ends over the past three years. And even just over the past two years, Kyle Rudolph ranks fifth among all tight ends and receptions. I really don't get the, the Dallas Goddard thing. We, I guess we'll save that for another show. But um, yeah, Kyle Rudolph at tight end 14. Again, I think he's he's fine there. Delvin Cook, definitely the guy I'm most excited about in Minnesota. And I think his price tag is okay. He's going 18th overall. Um, you know, so he's going mid-second round. If you get 14 games out of Delvin Cook, he's, he's probably going to prove to be more valuable than that 18th overall pick. So I'm definitely willing to take some shots on Cook in the second round. Yeah, I, I've been just like... He's been somebody that I'm wary of, even though I can't, I don't, I don't think he's a bad pick. I've kind of talked myself into getting some of him in case he does stay healthy. Cause I think he's well set up for success on the, who I don't side. I, similarly, I'm not against Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs mm-hmm. at their prices, which is wide receiver nine for Thielen, wide receiver 14 for Diggs. I'm not going to tell anybody that those guys are bad players to take where they're going. That said, when I have it facing me, I will take a running back over Thielen, Aaron Jones, Devontae Freeman are guys going in that range. And then Diggs as well. Uh, the running backs factor in there. There's some running backs that I'll take. A.J. Green is right next to Stephon Diggs in ADP. I'm taking A.J. Green over Stephon Diggs pretty much every time. And then Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks are right behind. So Thielen and Diggs, uh, they could absolutely finish at their spots. Uh, each of them could finish higher than their ADP. Uh, they're just not guys that I'm drafting right now. Yeah, so Thielen's going early round three. Diggs going right around the third, fourth round turn. Um, like you said, round three for me has been a running back round so far with Devontae Freeman, with Aaron Jones, with on Johnson is really my three favorite targets in that round. So I haven't got many of these guys. I, I do, if I'm you know picking between the two as far as value goes, I'd, I'd rather take Stephon Diggs, who's going about 10 picks later than Adam Thielen. Again, you know, Diggs out-targeted Thielen 
over the second half of the season. And I don't think it's crazy to think that Diggs finishes with more targets this year. Yeah, especially when you consider his age. He's certainly in the potentially ascending range of his career. Right. That's going to do it for this NFC North edition of the Projections Podcast. You can find all the previous episodes for free on DraftSharks.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're a DS Insider, then you can check out all of the projections and player profiles for every guy we discussed here today, plus hundreds more. Now that we're into July, you can also count on the articles ramping up all the way through into and through the 2019 NFL season on DraftSharks.com. You can find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Schauf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 